on the clock. How's it going today, guys? We're back here live in the studio. Once again, another episode of Hot Takes with TP3. Today is Friday, May 17th, 2019. Me and Brett were finally able to get in the studio twice in one week. I feel like we haven't done a great job of doing it lately, but we're back at it again this week. We got a lot of good stuff to talk about. Brett, say what's up to the people. Yes, we are back. We have two shows in a week, which is something that uh, we haven't really been able to do. There's been a lot of stuff going on. I mean, Thomas's life right now that we need to, you know, get on top of. But we got two this week. We're going to start it off by talking about the NBA lottery in which the Atlanta Hawks got absolutely screwed. The Atlanta Hawks got the eighth pick. The top three, you know, the top three uh, teams that had the highest percentage of the number one pick got screwed. All got screwed. So Mm -hmm. uh, I think that Cleveland probably had the best pick out of those three is that right no the knicks did the knicks oh, yeah, were the third knicks. and the cavs are five the because they're just awful but the <laughs> yeah. knicks got the third pick the cavs got the fifth the hawks got the eighth and the suns got the seventh so i, I really feel bad for the suns because it was so obvious that they were tanking last season um mm-hmm. i mean like we always talk about the hawks strategically tanked by you know sitting john collins and a long stretch of games in which he probably was healthy enough to play in a contending team. But it's tough, you know. Uh, Atlanta never can catch a break. But we have some things to talk about. Me and Thomas are going to go through a nice little mock draft. We're going to kind of trade off here and there. The first pick... Wait, wait, wait. Before we get in the mock draft, I just want to say this real quick about the draft in general. I, mean, I feel like we need to talk about like how everything went down in general. So obviously we knew what the odds were and everything. Like New York fans were pissed, but I mean realistically you had a 74% chance to not get the number one pick. Mm-hmm. I mean as a Hawks fan, obviously I'm a little pissed we didn't get in the top five. But at the same time, like I mean that's how they changed the odds and everything. They've changed it up so much that so that – you know, they want to make it so teams don't want to tank. That was the whole point of changing this up so teams would tank less and less and less. And I think that's what we're going to see going ahead from this. I mean, you look at the Grizzlies. The Grizzlies were first place in the Western Conference back in like at the end of December last year. I mean, the Pelicans, they were they've I believe won 34 games and had like the eighth worst record in the league. So, I mean, I really, really think that the way they changed all this stuff up and everything, that it's them kind of trying to, you know, go away from the traditional just, yeah. oh, it, it doesn't matter. Like Phoenix does. They're like, oh, Devin Booker is a Hanging games, you know what I mean? Like to not do this anymore. And I think that really the teams are going to stop establishing that losing culture because I mean, like I'm glad honestly the Hawks didn't establish a losing culture. You look at it, we won some games. Yeah, we got the eighth and the tenth pick, but I mean, I trust that no matter what happens, that we're going to be able to find a value with those picks. I mean, we've seen it in the past with our track with our track record and everything. You know, John Collins is the 18th pick. Kevin Herter, I think, was like 17 or 19 or something like that. Mm-hmm. Even Travis Schlink well, comes from the Warriors. None of those guys were top five picks. Another thing to look at is. A lot of people are saying that this draft is top-heavy, which I agree it is. But there are still players that we talked about earlier today, like Carson Edwards and mm-hmm. um, you know Admiral Schofield, that are there were difference makers in college, and it's still you know Alfred Abate if they're going to be difference makers on the next level. But it's worth a you know worth looking into, especially the Atlanta Hawks have the 35th pick as well. Um, so 8, 10, and 35th. Not bad for the Atlanta Hawks. I we, have we also have pick too. We have 41 and 42 as well. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, we're definitely going to trade some of those picks. I mean, we don't have spot for five rookies on the team, but also shout out Mufon, Ducab, and Gelly, reigning ACC Sixth Man of the Year, elite first player to ever in ACC history to lead his team in scoring off the bench. I guarantee you he's going to be one of those late guys that makes an impact. But, I mean, do you want to get into the mock draft here? Let's hit it. So, in a sh- shocking development, the New Orleans Pelicans got the first overall draft pick. Kind of ridiculous, but... Zion Williamson is going to be the pick here. It's pretty obvious. Um, I'm not even sure if he's the most talented basketball player in terms of uh, like feel for the game. I still think that's Ja Morant, but it's hard to pass on a guy like Zion right now. Yeah, I mean, I'm not even going to make comments because it's that obvious science going number one. I mean, yeah. the odds in Vegas, you would have had to, you have to risk uh, 99000 $999, $100, or I can't even say the number right now, but basically you have to risk almost a million dollars to win $100 on Zion going number one. <laughs> that yeah, is I don't absolutely know ridiculous. That's what I'm saying. I mean, so what are the odds two? on him not going number one? <laughs> I mean, it'd be, it'd, I don't even know what they are. It'd just, be, it'd just be like, I'd rather honestly just drive down the road and toss a $100 bill out the window than throw money on that. But <laughs> number two, we got the Grizzlies taking Ja Morant, a point guard from Murray State sophomore. I mean, he called himself the point god. Heard him in interviews saying that, you know, he likes to watch how his other teammates play so he can try to get them the best shots possible. I mean, I think he's that next level game changer point guard. It's pretty much consensus that he's going number two. Yeah. Even Memphis themselves have said that. I mean, do you got anything you want to say about him, Brett? I think that John Moran is my favorite player in this draft. I think he has the best. He is. I think he has the best feel for the game. I think that he will be able to find things. While Zion is definitely the most athletic, he's probably Mm going to make a huge difference. I'm not saying he won't. I think that if Zion goes through, you know, struggles shooting or struggles scoring, John Moran's not going to have those struggles. He knows how to, you know, produce even if the offensive side of the ball is not there for him uh, I think he's a great facilitator a great ball handler and he's only going to get bigger in size so I think that helps him tremendously so um, he's a clear-cut number two pick moving absolutely to the, yeah for sure moving to the number three pick God knows what the New York Knicks are going to do with this three pick because they're the New York Knicks but I think the pick here has to be either RJ Barrett or DeAndre Hunter You'd have to assume that they're going to go with R.J. Barrett because, I mean, he just, I mean, obviously he struggled at times at Duke, but it's so obvious that he is a difference maker. And he kind of got overshadowed by Zion Williamson, and he had a great, you know, freshman year for most athletes. It's just when you're on Zion Williamson's team, it's a little bit tough to stand out. Yeah, I actually have R.J. Barrett going here as well. I think it's a no-brainer. you got to take R.J. Barrett here. Um, I think that worst-case scenario with his game translating to the league, he's Andrew Wiggins. I think, like, best case that he's one of those just, like, beast wing scorers like a Devin Booker or, like, James Harden or something like that. I don't think he'll be quite as good as the as James Harden, but, I mean, I think Devin Booker is a pretty good comparison. But I think the best move for the Knicks is to attempt to trade this pick, to acquire Anthony Davis. I think you got to trade this pick. Mitchell Robinson. Um, um, shoot, who else? Dennis Smith Jr. Pretty much anything you have of value, I would even give this year's first and another first, along with Knox Robinson. You know, whatever it takes to get Anthony Davis. Because I mean, I've I've heard from Colin Coward, Stephen A. Smith. The Colin Coward says it's a hundred percent that, according to his sources, that that um the Knicks are going to get um Ke- Kevin Durant in free agency. And I mean, Stephen A. says ninety five percent. 
So I trust what you're saying, and I think that they're going to do whatever it takes at the end of the day to go out and get Anthony Davis. And plus, I think it's a great move for the Pelicans to pair Barrett and Zion together. You know, it gives them two top picks in this draft. Yeah, I think sure. getting and yeah, and it gives them so much young talent. I mean, if you're the if you're them, like realistically, is it is are you better off trying to make the playoffs with Zion and Anthony Davis and convince him to stay, or are you better off getting another young player in RJ Barrett? No, and I I, it? I definitely have, agree with you in the sense that the Pelicans have to pull the trigger. Um, it's so obvious that New York is a fit in terms of not only a fit for Anthony Davis, but a trading partner as well for them. Mm -hmm. Uh, It makes all the sense in the world to pair R.J. Barrett and Zion Williamson back up together. That would be awesome, Uh, especially for, you know, college basketball fans. It would be nice to see because you don't often get to see, you know, you really don't get to see two of the best players playing on the same college basketball team in general. But you usually, if they go to the same college basketball team together, you're probably never going to see them play again together. Yeah, unless it's like eight or ten years down the road. So that that would be an awesome little story. I hope it does happen. Mm -hmm. And it would be neat to see New York finally actually do something. Um, I think they could do something with Kevin Durant and Anthony Davis, of course, and maybe even Kyrie Irving. Yeah, and I want it to happen just to even the league out more and make it a better league, which I think it's going to happen because I think after the Warriors' success with KD going down that he needs to go prove himself elsewhere. But let's move here now to the number four pick. All right, so this is assuming the Lakers use their draft pick. I have, I know there's a lot of different players here. I personally have Cam Reddish going here, uh, small forward from Duke. So. Well, y'all know who Cam Reddish is. I think the Lakers' biggest need is shooting. They clearly lack shooters. I think he brings that to the table. He also has length to defend on the wings and everything. I mean, I've seen him falling down the board, but I think it's foolish. If I were the Lakers, I would take Cam Reddish at this spot. Obviously, I think their best thing to do, though, is try to package this along with Lonzo Ball and other assets to acquire Anthony Davis. Will that happen? I don't think. I, I feel like the Knicks have a better package to offer since they have the better draft pick here. But I think the Lakers' best bet is to trade, but if they don't, Cam Reddish. My pick for this L.A. Lakers is going to be a player like Cam Reddish in a sense. I think that they need to pick DeAndre Hunter up off the uh, – I mean, it's – they're very similar players. They're both going to give you uh, good defense. They're the same exact height. DeAndre Hunter has about 10 extra pounds. But at the same time, uh, he brings a little bit more versatility into your lineup. Mm -hmm. I think that he's more – I think he has a better post game as it is. I think he's a little bit better in uh, terms of being comfortable down there. And I think that with the Lakers, you know, small ball lineup that they've kind of brought into play, I think that he's the better pick between him and Cam Reddish. Although, I will say, I like both of them as players. And I don't think that, you know, one pick is better than the other necessarily. But I think that DeAndre Hunter is a better fit. Yeah, I agree with you. I think the first three picks in the draft are pretty like cut and dry. And then after that, I mean, you could just draw numbers out of a hat at that point for who's <laughs> yeah. going to go next and with these guys. This next pick, uh, I, I, you know, I'm, uh, you know, an in-between yeah. fan of Cleveland Cavaliers basketball. Um, who's saving the franchise? Yeah, I think that I saw a lot of people like giving the Cavaliers on a mock draft, giving them Kobe White. I think that is the dumbest situation. I agree. I, I, it is so dumb because you have a player that's already pretty much a more developed Kobe White and mm-hmm. Colin Sexton on your team. I think that they really need to go out there and they need to get a point guard that can, you know, play a little defense. For the particular situation of the Cavaliers, you can take a risk on somebody that can't shoot uh, or that doesn't have, you know, 
as good of a or as developed of a jumper as some. So I think that you could see the Cavaliers picking somebody like Jarrett Culver or maybe even Cam Reddish if he's available. You know, it's going to be based on that LA Lakers pick. It really will be based a lot on that because if DeAndre Hunter or, you know, Cam Reddish are available, I feel like the Cavs will probably reach out and grab that. But I also would not be surprised to see them like reach on a player like Jarrett Culver. Uh, that shooting guard position has been really weak for them in the past, even when LeBron James mm-hmm. was on the team. So I think finding a difference maker right there in that shooting guard spot will open up this team's success or, you know, opportunity for success a lot more than they've been dealing with in the season without LeBron James. Yeah, um, for the sake of saving time here, I actually have Culver too. I think you pretty much hit the nail on the head. They need defense. I think Culver can still improve a lot. He's got a big body. He's versatile. I mean, I I agree with you there. I think the Cavs take Culver, a guy like Reddish, whoever's available between those. Yeah. Um, We'll move here now to the sixth pick. The sixth pick, I got the Phoenix Suns. I mean, they obviously need a point guard here. I got to go with Darius Garland. He, to me, he's a point – by the way, he's point guard from Bandy. He's a freshman. Mm -hmm. He, to me, is probably one of the – most like players that I want to see what they do in the NBA just because I never really got a chance to watch him since he was hurt at Vandy but from what I've been told he he could like I've heard heard people hyping up to go number four you know I haven't really watched him play so I really can't say that well but I just feel like if Garland is somewhat as good as he is I mean the Suns need a point guard a guy who can move the ball distribute it they want Booker to play a little bit more off mm-hmm. ball he can handle the ball some like all stars can but he's but. not a facilitator yeah, exactly. You want Booker to be looking for a shot, not to facilitate. I think Volume Garland would be right the there. perfect guy here for the Suns. And I mean, the Suns are really a team, man. They got screwed by this by this uh, lottery. They were really hoping to land one of those top three picks and get mm-hmm. Ja Moran. I mean, if they could have paired him with Booker, that'd have been crazy. But I think the Suns do that. I mean, I don't think it's stupid also to say the Suns should trade this pick for an established point guard. But I mean, when I was going down the list of point guards they could trade for, really the only name that stood out to me was Mike Conley. But at the same time, I don't really think I'd want to trade the sixth pick for Mike Conley. Yeah. And- uh, with Mike Conley, I, I do feel like Mike Conley is a great you know asset to a team. But at the same time, you have such a young team. Uh, bringing in a veteran like that that's already been an all-star almost doesn't make sense uh, if unless you're trying to immediately just hop into the playoffs. But I think for the Suns, mm-hmm. it's a longer process. And as far as Darius Garland goes, I agree with that pick. I think that he's one of those guys that it kind of reminds me of the Kyrie Irving situation when he was coming in. Uh, obviously, yeah. Kyrie was a little bit different. He had a little bit more potential. Uh, seemed to be the clear-cut number one pick or at least number two. And this is a guy that we haven't been able to see, but we know the talent is there. And you know, pairing him up with somebody that's already a volume scorer makes the whole entire process of you know adapting to the NBA play a lot easier, um, especially for a point guard that is going to be pretty reliant on you know Devin Booker's ability to score the ball and uh, I think that you get your you get your three guys you get the foundation if you're the Suns and you can see how it works out and I mean the worst that can happen is that they lose 60 games again <laughs> and get a top 3 pick next year but I do agree with you on the Darius Garland pickup the next pick is a little bit difficult to make. This is a team that the Chicago Bulls are kind of a weird team, to be honest. Uh, they have needs for sure, but um, I don't really know, you know, how uh, I guess how content they are with certain positions on their team. I know they got the big guy last year. Um, 
for some reason I can't think of Wendell name. Carter. Yeah, Wendell Carter, yeah. And uh, they also have Zach Levine. Mm-hmm. Man, marketing. Yeah, I don't know. It's tough for them because they don't have that many positions to fill, but they do have positions to fill at the same time. I think that they probably, if Darius Garland is going to be there, they will probably try to scoop him uh, at point guard and let Zach Levine kind of uh, play the same role that you know Devin Booker that we were just talking about for the Suns would play. And they're kind of similar teams in a sense, but I could also see them kind of stepping out of the box and trying to go for, you know, one of your Culver's, your Cam Reddish's or your DeAndre Hunter's, whichever, you know, is available at the time. And I think that that's the right pick for them personally. I think that they need that man, you know, kind of in the in the middle in the yeah. small forward position. Yeah, so I have Kobe White going seventh to North to um them guard from freshman guard from yep. North Carolina. You know, you can play point guard and shooting guard. I don't think Kobe White's a great facilitator, but I know one thing that he can get buckets. He reminds me of a bigger Lou Williams, like I've said many times. I just feel like that he's gonna be the best available player on the board. I'm not much of a Chris Dunn fan. I think you can still keep around Chris Dunn and let him try to facilitate, but Kobe White would be a great sixth man to bring in at first until he gets a little bit better. I think that like you I mean, like you said, if Darius Garland's there, they're gonna be all over it, but I would go Kobe White here if I was them at seven. Yeah, I I, I agree with that. I mean, I kind of overlook Kobe White a lot, and I shouldn't. But I just have this – I have no idea why, but I just kind of overlook him sometimes. So I do think he's a good pickup for them. Um, it's hard to say with what the Chicago Bulls are planning on doing with that pick. They're kind of in an awkward uh, location within the draft, within the lottery. So, yes – I think that they need a point guard, but I could also see them going and trying to get that small forward that they're kind of been. It would it would help them play big, like a large, uh, tall lineup for sure. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm saying. So I think I think it's a good fit there. All right, at number eight, we have our Atlanta Hawks, the hometown squad here. This is me being very hopeful here. I've got him taking DeAndre Hunter, um, small forward, power forward from Virginia. I know Brad already kind of talked about his skills. I think that he has potential. I'm not saying he's going to be the next Kawhi Leonard, but I think he has potential like it. He's got those big hands, long arms. He can shoot threes. He's proven that he's clutch. He probably the biggest shot of his career in that national championship game. Um, I mean, he's gritty. He knows how to win. He's he's every. I feel I feel like he was the heart and soul of this Virginia team. I really do. And I would just love for the Hawks to get a guy like him. I think that we could really use a defender like that on the wing he's versatile like hunter is i mean i don't know if he'll be there obviously i feel like the way everything plays out him or culliver will be on the boards or reddish i look for the hawks to take one of those three with that eight pick and yeah i definitely agree with you i think that this is a no-brainer for them uh they already have the point guard they already have the shooting guard if you can get a guy that can play both shooting guard and small forward and some length and defense i think that that is the ideal pick for the hawks hopefully you have somebody like DeAndre Hunter slide down the draft board for the Hawks to pick up at number eight. I think that would be an absolute blessing for them. But uh, to kind of tailor, you know, Atlanta Hawks fans' hopes and wishes and dreams, I would say that you might need to look more towards somebody like uh, I think Culver is probably the pick that you know is behind DeAndre Hunter and Cam Reddish in terms of similar players. So mm-hmm. I don't know if DeAndre Hunter is going to be there, but I definitely hope that he is. Yeah, I think we'll get one of those three no matter what. Yeah. So that's that's cool with me. All right, you want to do the Wizards here at I nine? I don't even care. 
All right, I got actually have a good one here for the Wizards at nine. I was actually really, you know, I sat there, thought about it for a few minutes. I put a lot of thought in this. It took me like 45 minutes to come up with my mock draft. So I actually did some digging. Obviously, I've seen Jackson Hayes up on the boards a lot, freshman center from Texas, and I ended up putting him on there. So people are really hype about his defensive potential. He has basically all the similar, like today in the combine, all his measurables and everything were very, very similar to like literally almost like exact Clint Capella's. Um, the Wizards Wizards struggled mightily last year with defense. Them and the Hawks that were the two worst defensive teams in the entire NBA. I think that actually Jackson Hayes is the perfect fit here for the Wizards. I will say this, though. A couple times I watched Texas play, he really didn't stand out that much to me. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I probably agree with that pick. It's just that Washington has such an array of issues. They're an absolute dumpster fire over there in Washington. Yeah, they have the worst contract in the NBA with have, John Wall. John Wall is getting paid millions to, you know, rehabilitate himself. So, I, I, I really don't think that the Washington Wizards are done with the lottery by any means. I think that this pick is just uh, the next step in them getting a top three <laughs> pick over the next year or so. Uh, I think, you know, Jackson Hayes is a nice starting piece, though, especially with somebody that can play defense, uh, make a difference on the boards. I think that it's a good time to draft a player like him who kind of is reliant on his potential. And, you know, having him drafted this early in the rebuilding process, which is inevitable for Washington, 100% is inevitable. I think that, you know, taking a risk on him is kind of a, a good idea. For right now because he's got some time to develop until he actually needs to be that difference maker that you would expect to get in the top 10 yeah also last thing i'm going to say i'll let you do this next hawks pick before me but the last thing i want to say too is i could also see the wizards potentially trading bradley beal to the lakers lakers need shooting beal averaged almost 25 a game last year beal probably one of the most slept on players in the league is how bad the wizards are but i could definitely see that being in play and the wizards also getting that number four pick as well but Go ahead and do a uh, number 10 for us here for the Hawks. I think Atlanta's getting Hachimura. Uh, okay. Yeah, I mean, I, it's so obvious his uh, level of play and throughout his uh, time at, you know, Gonzaga, it's been incredible. Uh, he's been a really, I mean, a really good player. He, he, does, he I like his play style because he doesn't normally make a lot of mistakes. I think mm-hmm. that that is huge for the Hawks because, one, you're going to have players that are turning the ball over just because it's, you know, it's inevitable when Trey Young is touching the ball for 35 out of the 40 minutes that he plays. And I think, you know, having somebody that can play, not only can play the power forward position, but can also be like a stretch four, uh, I think that's huge in their offense, especially because he can shoot the ball okay. I mean, he's not necessarily mm-hmm. a crazy three-point jumper or like not a like a mid-range jump shot or anything and he doesn't shoot it very often but I think that him shooting mid-range shots for the Hawks could be something that we see a lot of and especially if he's kind of like in a stretch for position and not a full stretch not a Kevin Love you know where you're seeing him pop off onto the corner I was thinking more so of like you know popping off onto the kind of like what Al Horford did early in his career uh, okay. shooting like mid-range jump shots. I think that really opens up a team, opens up the floor, especially for a team like the Hawks that like to get moving down down towards the basket. Yeah, and especially the way Trey Young can spread the floor. Yeah. You know, I like that Hachimura pick. I feel like, too, I think he started playing basketball when he was like 16 yeah. or it was like he was real late. So, I mean, incredible development. One- 
Yeah, he's one of those guys I think that'll that you'll be taken like earlier than people are thinking, and you'll kind of be like, whoa. But I definitely like I agree with you. I like his upside, but I'm actually going bull bull here. It's freshman center from Oregon. I honestly, I actually think out of all the players in the draft, I know that Zion and John Moran are really good. I'm most excited to watch him play at the next level because we didn't get to watch him much yeah, in college, but also because. Yeah, because like if he can come into what he's supposed to be and stay healthy, it's kind of like the Embiid thing. He can be that good. Like realistically, if Bull Bull didn't get injured, he might be going number two or maybe shit, maybe even number one in this draft. You know, like Bull Bull is really is that good. And if you have a guy who's over seven feet tall that can shoot the three ball, can dribble, can pass, block shots, do everything. If I'm the Hawks, I say whatever. If Bull Bull doesn't play a single game this season, we'll take him in next season or whenever he's ready to go. You know, yeah. I would. I'll I'll take any at the end of the day. I'll take draft and stashing bull bull all day so i think that he's one of those guys too i mean you could see one of these teams take him at a weird time in this draft and he could really shake up the bull and i definitely i definitely 100 agree with you right there picks is rolling the dice you know yeah i definitely agree with you 100 right there i think that bull bull is one of those dudes that i got to watch a couple of his games early in the season and you know i was high on oregon uh even without him and mm-hmm. i think that you know his ability to shoot. I remember one early on he shot a three from NBA range and just cashed it. And he has a he really, dropped like forty one one yeah, game. Yeah, he has a really smooth shot for a guy his size. And I think that he's obviously talented. You know, in terms of offensively, he's really well developed so far. And I think it all de- is all depends on his health. And I think that if there is one team in this lottery that is willing to risk, you know, take a risk on uh, somebody that may not be healthy, it is the Hawks. Because, listen, I mean, they could not even have Bull Bull next season and still potentially be in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he averaged 21 and 9.6 as a freshman. So, I mean, that was only in like 10 in a 10 game sample, but still, it's crazy upside right there. All right, at number 11, Minnesota Timberwolves. I mean, it's. It's going to be interesting to see what they do here, too. I have Romeo Langford, Langford uh, shooting guard, point guard, Indiana freshman. I mean, I feel like Langford's one of those players you watch him play sometimes and you're like, damn, this guy's got top five potential. And then other times you watch him play and you're like, dude, like I don't even know if I'd take him in the first round. You know, like he's he's very inconsistent. I honestly think if he ends up going to Minnesota that he probably won't turn into much. I feel like Minnesota doesn't have great player development because they've feel it feels like they've been in the lottery for years now. They did make the playoffs last year but it just feels like they've been in the lottery for so many years in a row now but i'll go langford here at 11 okay um i'm going with another guy that's kind of like that langford um you know how sometimes you see this guy play and you're like wow this is a top prospect Mm -hmm. uh this guy really has it together big time difference maker and then other games you kind of look at him and you're like what in the hell is this guy doing and -hmm. that is uh nazir little out of North Carolina. I think that this is a guy that was highly recruited out of high school. Uh, I think that he fits the mold for that Minnesota Timberwolves pick. Um, You know, they like to pick potential. Uh, They like to pick, you know, Mm -hmm. a little bit of hype as well. And I think that he has both of those. And he's he's a good player. And uh, I I really do. I think that Nazir Little, they're actually, what they're going to do with him, I think they're, because he played a lot of small forward in North Carolina. And I don't think it worked to his you know, advantage, really. I think that they're going to shift him over to shooting guard, kind of work him into a little bit different play style, but they have some time to do it too because they are, you know, 
not in a position to where they're trying to contend or anything. So I think that, you know, taking a risk on him or Romeo Langford, two players that are kind of similar, in my opinion, uh, I think that that's going to be the pick there for the Minnesota Timberwolves. I don't know if you're breaking up or not, but yeah, um, I actually had little going next. Yeah, you were breaking up a little bit, but I heard everything you said. Okay. I actually had length or uh, little going twelfth to the Hornets. I think he can play power forward, small forward, and shooting guard. Like you said, he's real versatile. I mean, people forget he was the MVP of the Jordan Brand Classic and of the um, and the McDonald's All American Game with all the, it was Zion and everybody. So well, that and he, little is definitely a very that I was gonna say. All I was gonna say is that and he played in. In the big games, uh, my, with the exception of the Auburn loss, he played really well uh, against Washington and Iona in the tournament. And he, I mean, he struggled a little bit against Duke in the uh, semifinal at the ACC tournament, but he still, like, he played well in big minutes. I, I'm, that's all I'm going to say about him. Yeah, no, I I like that pick right there. I think he's you know I wouldn't even be mad if the Hawks took him with one of those two picks. So I definitely like that one. He uh, I won't say much more about Little though. We just talked about him. That's who I have go at twelve going to the Hornets. Who you got at twelve to the Hornets? So I think Bruno Fernando is going to be the pick there. Uh, I think that the Charlotte Hornets have really lacked somebody that has been uh, you know a big man down down low, and I think that well we haven't. I guess I don't think we've seen what Bruno Fernando can do at, you know, the next level, of course. But I think he's the pick. Like like you said uh, uh, earlier about um, Clint Capella, he's kind of he kind of reminds me of Clint Capella. Uh, He shot the free throw at an incredibly high rate, which was big for me in terms of, uh, you know, boosting his stock. But my favorite thing about him is that he average two blocks and a steal so he's got really active hands i think that that's going to really help you know the hornets and especially if they have kimba walker i think that you know having a big guy kimba can actually rely on finally will be huge for the charlotte hornets i don't know you know what type of impact he'll have immediately but i like him as a pick i think he's the you know the most uh physically developed center in this draft Okay, I like. I think I don't know. Fernando actually to me is like more of those. I don't know. He's one of those iffy prospects to me. I really don't know how I feel about him. So, I mean, it's not a bad pick. I think he's definitely gonna could fall somewhere in the lottery. I don't have him in my lottery personally, but I mean, you're definitely not wrong. The Hornets need a center. Um, for the sake of time, we gotta speed up a little bit here at number thirteen. I got the Miami Heat taking Brandon Clark, power forward, small forward from Gonzaga. He's a junior. I mean, Clark's really athletic. We saw what he could do in those tournament games. I think the Heat need a lot of things, and I think getting a guy like Clark could be a good way to kind of help the Heat along, because I think really the only player they have that's worth anything is somewhat Goran Dragic, but he's old and coming apart, and Bam Adebayo, so I think that they could definitely use a guy like Clark on this team. Okay. I'm actually going to disagree with you. I think this is where we see the first foreign player come off the board. I think we're going to see Dumboya. Okay. Um, I think that this is a guy that the Miami Heat definitely need um, in terms of position. You know, he's this small forward uh, stretch four that I really think will open things up for the Miami Heat. I think that they've got some time as well to develop their players. And I think he's a good fit, especially because they have, uh, you know, some foreign players. Is Goran Dragic staying there? 
Uh, wait, is this? I think he's still under contract. I believe he is. Yeah. So yeah. I think you know it's a good it's a good fit for him. Uh, he's your prototypical two way like. He's going to play both really good. He has really good defensive upside. Uh, pretty, I mean, as far as the highlights that I've watched on him, he's very athletic. Uh, I think that in terms of, like, being a facilitator, I think that he has that aspect into his game. I don't think that he's, like, too, uh, I guess, too, like, ball hoggy or anything like that. But I also think that that's a knock on him because I feel like he needs to be a little bit, you know, more opportunistic. I think that he needs to actually uh, push the, uh, I guess, push the agenda on his own. Yeah, no, absolutely. All right, let's keep it moving here real quick. Who you got at uh, 14 for the Celtics? Um, Sorry about that. Say that again. Who you got at 14 for the Celtics? Um, as far as the Celtics go, I believe that they're going to draft somebody. Depends on who's going to be available, obviously, but I think they're going to draft somebody like Kendall or um, Kendall Keldon Johnson out of Kentucky. I think I that yeah, I think that he's the pickup for them if he's available. He uh, really he really impressed me, and you know that in a season run for the Kentucky Wildcats over there, and uh, he was like. Even in that loss to Auburn, he was the one that was keeping them around. Although he did have some bad games uh, in their wins against Wolford and Houston. I think that this is a guy that knows how to score. He's great inside. Uh, He's a big, strong guard. And I think he's honestly kind of dropped on the draft boards a lot. So I think that he's a good pick right there. Yeah, I mean, Kelton Johnson's a great perimeter defender. I don't know if he'll go in the lottery, but, I mean, he's definitely for sure a first-round pick. And Celtics, there's a lot of things the Celtics could do here with this pick. I have them taking Hachimura. I mean, we already talked about him. Mm-hmm. I think that I would I would honestly hate to see the Celtics take him because if the Celtics took him, that means he's for sure going to be a stud. So I hope the Celtics don't get him, but that's who I have going there to Boston. But for the sake of moving on here and uh, saving time, I feel like we could probably talk, what, for about 30 minutes there about the lottery and everything. Yeah, 30 minutes. That's what I figured. All right, we got to get moving on here. All right, let's talk a little bit about last night's game. We had Golden State versus the Blazers. You know, this is a game where the Blazers were up by 17, 20 points, points in time in the game. I mean, there's absolutely no excuses for blowing this lead if you're the Blazers. But, I mean, the way the Golden State finished this game out was unbelievable. And people keep saying, oh, how does Golden State keep getting lucky? It's the same with the Patriots, how they always get lucky. They don't get lucky. They win because it's coaching. You know Steve Kerr had drawn all that stuff up. He knew what was going to happen. He told Iguodala, you're going to go you're going to go be like uh, peanut butter on a piece of bread to to uh, Damian Lillard. We knew that only Damian Lillard was going to shoot that shot after hitting that deep buzzer beater. Felt like him and CJ tried to play a little bit of hero ball too down the stretchers I didn't like. I mean, the Warriors actually only attempted one three-point shot in the fourth quarter. Everything was in the paint, which is kind of weird for the Warriors. You wouldn't mm-hmm. expect that, but... I mean, we're watching the best team I think that we'll ever see play basketball. The fact you can win without two all-stars, one being the best player in the league, is absolutely unbelievable. I mean, it's a t- I, I, it makes me mad when people say Steve Kerr, like, oh, it's not hard to be Steve Kerr. Like, I mean, Steve Kerr sent David Lee, Bogut, and Iguodala, all three guys who had been all-stars to them, and said, nah, y'all on the bench, and made, put Draymond Green in the starting lineup, put this crazy starting lineup together, and absolutely, you know, we, we all know what happened from there. 
I think that it's so hard to do what the Warriors have been doing, what they've done. And I mean, last night was just another great game by them. Mm -hmm. And Steph Curry was lights out. And as far as coaching goes, I think one of the best aspects of Steve Kerr's coaching in the last game specifically is the fact that he went out there with on uh, with Bogut and played him four minutes. I mean, he he knew that uh, he wasn't necessarily ineffective, but he knew that Kayvon Looney was really playing well. Uh, Absolutely Dude, Jordan incredible. Bell by even him. like played well. Looney had was six for six with fourteen points, seven rebounds, and two assists, as well as a steal and a block on zero turnovers, which role player of the day right there for them. And I mean it was a great game. Uh, as far as you know, having a lead that deep, I know that the Warriors are famous for their third quarter comebacks. And it's tough for them. I, I really do think that the Portland Trailblazers needed to lock this one up if they had a chance in the series. But then again, they still have an opportunity because Kevin Durant has reportedly uh, you know, not traveling to Portland. So you get at least games three and four where you can tie this thing up, but it's just so hard to get down against Golden State 2-0 mm-hmm. and come back. And back to your point about them being possibly the greatest team ever, I think that this is definitely one of the greatest teams that we've seen in any sports in our lifetimes in terms of me and yours. Uh, I mean, we've been around for a good 25 years or 24 years now, and uh, mm-hmm. I mean... I haven't ever seen someone in this dominant. We talked about the Patriots before the show came on. Uh, I think that the Patriots have had a you know a, a little bit different uh, run. They've had you know been relying on Tom Brady and Bill Belichick, but they've done it in different eras. They've kind of picked and choose when they wanted to be a dominant team. And this Golden State Warriors team, it's just become inevitable. They're like Thanos, dude. I mean, it's it's inevitable that they're going to come and they're probably going to beat you. And I think that. I'm not sure when this little run that they're going to have is going to be officially over because even if they lose this year, the thing is the Golden State Warriors are not going to just sit sit down and just like let their dynasty end. I think that you know, if they lose this year to in the Eastern or in the finals to the Bucks or something, I think that they're going to be right back to the finals the next year unless something drastic happens. Yeah, I mean, even if they lose Kevin Durant, I still think, I mean, shoot, they'll still be up there as one of my favorites to go back. I don't know if they will win the Western Conference, but I mean, they'll be right there with all these other teams in the Western Conference. Um, I mean, I'd say you pretty much hit the nail on the head. I mean, this team, just the next man up mentality that they have. I mean, you can't coach that. I mean, you look at the Eagles, even the Eagles have been able to replace quarterbacks. I think that really says how good the coaching and how good these teams are. If you can replace losing key players. I mean, a lot of teams, I mean, a lot of teams, yeah, you can blame it on injuries, but at the same time it's the teams when injuries happen and it doesn't you know it doesn't phase them that's how you tell the good teams from the great teams and that's what makes the Warriors to be one of the all-time greatest teams ever seen like even Jordan Bell for example like Jordan Bell didn't do shit all season he was horrible all season 14 minutes 11 points um three rebounds assist two steals a block you know like yeah, Jordan Bell was the best thing about the Warriors for me is the fact that they don't necessarily replace players I mean let's be honest Kevin Durant is impossible to replace mm-hmm they, you know, put the weight on different players. Uh, they're a little bit more reliant on, you know, players that, you know, can kind of not go as hard. I mean, obviously, mm-hmm. Kevin Durant makes everybody's job easier by being there. But Steph Curry, in his absence, has scored, you know, 36 and 37 in back-to-back games. And, uh, well, wait, 32. Wait, did he score 36 in the first game? Last 
Uh, yeah, he had he had in the 30s in the first game. I don't remember what it was. I mean, he had 37 last three night. Three straight games with, you know. I think it was 36. I think you're right. Yeah, yeah three 36. straight games with 30 points uh, in Kevin Durant's absence. I think that that's huge. Obviously, his shot or his shot attempts have gone up. But, I mean, this is just awesome. I mean, you don't – and I agree with you. Steve Kerr does not get enough credit for coaching this team because we've seen – We've seen it in the past. Just because you have a super team does not mean that super team is going to win every game. And Steve Kerr makes the uh, you know the adequate adjustments. Everything that he does is the correct move. I think that he definitely deserves more credit. Oh, absolutely. No, Steve Kerr, one of the all-time greatest coaches. All right, we'll move on from this one. So we took forever on the lottery. And let's talk about Brett's, – Brett's happy. We finally got some golf here making the yes, headlines sir. for us. And it's the PGA Championship. So I'll let you start off here, Brett. I know you're obviously disappointed. I believe – didn't Tiger miss, end up missing the cut today? Yeah, so Tiger actually um, played pretty bad. Uh, this is a course that, you know – doesn't necessarily play to Tiger's advantage. I talked about it earlier. Uh, Tiger's never been that great of an accurate driver, especially later in his uh, later in his career. This is a course that is narrow. I mean, it's in New York. You have to conserve a little space as far as you know creating that course to begin with. And if you can't hit your drives, you're not going to win this tournament. This is you know a, a tournament in which you have to hit accurate drives. Unfortunate for Tiger that uh, it was at Bethpage this year, but Bethpage is one of the most prestigious courses in golf. So here's the thing. It's pretty obvious that the players that are the best drivers in terms of accuracy on tour are going to be competing at the end of the weekend. Uh, You have Brooks Kepka, who played an incredible round one and round two. He's shot five under today to push his lead 63 and a 65 like to push his lead out to seven under i think that brooks kepka this is a course that's going to play to his advantage in every aspect of golf and i think that he truly is going to win this tournament i think he's going to run away with it and it's going to be you remember when we brought this up at the end of last podcast and you Uh remember who i said was going to win this tournament you did because uh i i saw a hilarious uh tweet actually about how it was like all these reasons that major players needed to win this tournament. So it was like Jordan Spieth needs to win this tournament to stay relevant or to make sure or to like solidify his U.S. stardom. Tiger Woods needs to do it because uh, he needs to get one closer to Nicholas. And all these players, all the Ricky Fowler needs to get his first. And it was just a list of them. And it was like Brooks Kepka colon, because why the fuck not? And that is literally the one of one of the main reasons that Brooks Kepka is one of my favorite golfers on tour. This is a guy that doesn't care about the, uh, you know, he doesn't care about, obviously he cares about the money, but he doesn't seem to care about, you know, the accolades and whatnot. I think he really just wants to go out there and compete. And I mean, he's got, his game is perfectly set up for Beth Page Black. And I think that he's going to win it without a doubt, uh, especially after jumping out to a seven stroke lead after two days. Yeah, I mean, if he didn't win at this point, it would just be him blowing it. Um, I still think that it could get a little tight here. You know, there seems to be always a guy on the week when it gets to the weekend, the Saturday, Sunday, who comes out of nowhere. I could see a guy like, you know, it's tough to just pick one off the top of your head. But I mean, I could see a guy like Justin Rose, you know, getting hot here. He kind of moved up the leaderboard a good bit today. So, I mean, I could definitely see something like that. But I mean, who's your guy who could kind of come out of nowhere this weekend? I mean, here's a... (sighs) 
here's the thing. Beth Page Black is notorious for kind of moving the tees around or moving the uh, greens around a little bit. Uh, at the end of the and during, when you step into the weekend, the flag placements get a lot harder, uh, a lot less even lands, and I think that that plays obviously it plays to the advantage of the rest of the field, not named Brooks Kepka because all Brooks Kepka right now has to do is keep a lead. But when the flag placements are so hard, you might see him get some double bogeys, some things like that, that you know bring him closer to the pack. And I think that Jordan Spieth is. Uh, a player that could really make an impact, especially because he's such a good, um, I guess, recovery player. He's really good at scrambling. So Mm -hmm. I think that, you know, being able to hit pars is something that is really necessary on Beth Page Black. And I mean, if you can play par golf and squeeze in, you know, two to three birdies a day and this Saturday and Sunday, you're going to obviously have to rely on Kepka to screw up a little bit. But it's golf. You never know what's going to happen, especially, you know, once they start moving these place or the flag placements into uh, more difficult positions. Oh, yeah, no, for sure there. Um, any closing thoughts here before we move to the Raptors and Bucks and close um, this thing yeah. out? Uh, Tiger is no longer back. Uh, we'll get back onto that with an update later on in this golf season, but he is uh, actually going to be spending the weekend like us watching golf. May not be a bad thing. Hopefully you can uh, get everything together for the next one. But let's move here now to a big game we got going on tonight. Tips off in about an hour. That is Raptors versus Bucks. Um, so obviously in the first game of this series, we saw the man, the myth, the you never show up in the playoffs legend, Kyle Lowry, have probably the best playoff game he'd ever is going to have in his career. And the Raptors still could not beat the Bucks in Milwaukee. I mean, Kyle Lowry was he had 30 points. He hit what, seven? Was it seven three? I think he was seven for nine. Let me pull the box score up here. Yeah, Kyle Lowry was um, he's seven for nine from three, ten for fifteen 10 for from 15, the field. Thirty points. Eight yeah, rebounds. like that's what I'm saying. Like you're assist, never. Though. Yeah, but I mean, you're never going to see a game like this out of Kyle Lowry again. And the fact you couldn't win, I mean, I don't think that looks good for Toronto. Toronto's had their two worst offensive I, games of the playoffs, two back to back. I think they're kind of starting to run out of gas here. Leonard was ten for twenty six. The Bucks have the fresh legs and the lengthy defenders yeah. to throw at them. I mean, I would honestly be be surprised if Toronto wins any games in this series. Yeah, and like I said, I do think the Bucks are going to get out of this pretty easily. I said early in the playoffs that I don't think they're going to lose any more than three games. Um, This is a team that came off a lot of rest, and usually you kind of see that, especially on a team Mm -hmm. that's not as experienced as, you know, like the Warriors. You kind of see the, uh, you know, I guess rust, and it takes a game or so to get back into the swing of things, so to speak. But in the same instance, I really do feel for Kyle Lowry because he had probably the best game that he's ever had in the playoffs. And on the other side, Brooke Lopez put up 29 and 11 out of nowhere. So that's really, I mean, if Brooke Lopez on this Bucks team, if Brooks Lopez scores 29 points, you've lost the game. Uh, that's 100%. I mean, that's pretty obvious. Um, it's tough, yes. But uh, I think that the Bucs are just, they have nothing to worry about right now. And this is a team that Malcolm Brogdon played a really game, good game off the bench. But George Hill has been giving them really good minutes. And mm-hmm. this is a guy that has zero points in this game one, and they still won by eight points. And I yeah. i mean, the Bucs are by far the best team in the East. And I don't think that the Raptors even have a chance. 
Yeah, I mean, the fact that you have Bledsoe go three for 12, Middleton go four for 12, they combine for one for 12 from three-point range. I mean, Even they Giannis for went seven points. for 16. That's what I'm saying. Like, those guys literally could not play worse. I feel like the Bucks are going to come out hot tonight like they have. And I don't, you know, I think it's going to get rough early for Toronto. I mean, like you said, I think the Bucks were kind of a little, you know, they had rested for a while. They were a little cold, you know. Like, I think that's the only reason bit. they got out of that lead to begin with in terms mm-hmm. of the Raptors. And I, I think when the Raptors do get eliminated, which I do think is inevitable, I think that you got the Raptors need to go back to the to, Toronto back to the drawing board and they need to pick up some depth because you know Serge Ibaka is a great player I even think Van Fleet is a pretty good backup point guard option but when you're playing obviously your starting lineup is not good enough to blow teams out of the water and sweep them all the way throughout the playoffs so when you're playing an eight-man lineup it just becomes difficult Um, I mean even the Bucks are playing nine players deep uh, kind of just get some extra rest in their players' legs. I th- think it's great that they do that. Toronto needs something off the bench. It's pretty evident. I think Toronto should try to throw Jeremy Lin in there and let him do something. I think Jeremy Lin could maybe be a little bit of a difference maker. I don't know necessarily if Toronto needs more depth, but... I don't know what it is about Toronto in the playoffs, man. It just feels like they're just one of those teams where the playoffs is just different for them. It's like it's kind of like, you know, at the end of that game against Philadelphia, it was like nobody on the court wanted the ball for either team. Like Philadelphia yeah. had two shot clock violations in the final four minutes. Like it was like nobody wanted the ball but Kawhi Leonard. It just feels like that Toronto, they just – I just can't, you know, like I just can't quite put like my finger on what it is, but it's just something say, about them. Like I feel like Siakam and Gasol and them, like all great players, like it just doesn't make any sense for them. I will say before I get into that statement, I'm. I talked about how George Hill didn't have a single point, but he was great on the defensive side of the ball. He has such active hands. He played. He was either on Kyle Lowry. Uh, you know, Danny Green or even Kawhi Leonard at times, and he had four steals and, um, you know, a block, I believe. Yeah, four steals and a block, zero turnovers. You know, nothing crazy, but, you know, to have four assists, four steals and a block, that's five possessions right there that they created or that he created for the Bucks. Uh, and, you know, that's the type of player that the Raptors need. You know, that gritty player, mm-hmm. I don't think that they have him yet. And I don't think that, I think that, in the playoffs, when you don't have a gritty player like that, yeah, it's such an impact maker. And you've seen it with the Trailblazers. I don't think the Trailblazers get as far as they get in this season without a player like you know Zach Collins or something like that. Yeah, or Mo and, Harkless even. Yeah, or more. Uh, yeah, more Mo Harkless. And I think that they need that grit on their team. I think that they are lacking that. And mm-hmm. also. Danny Green was getting absolutely demolished on Twitter after that game. It was hard. Yeah, he's... No, he was awful. See, I think Green and Ibaka are supposed to be those gritty guys for him, but I just straight up think they didn't show up. I mean, Ibaka had a minus 17 plus minus. He got abused. You know, it happened to Ibaka at the beginning of that. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, it happened to him at the beginning of that last series, and I feel like he stepped it up, though, as each series, as the series went on. So, I mean, they definitely need other guys to step up because, I mean, Kawhi and Lowry gave him what they needed. I mean, I I think Lowry will come back to earth, but I also think, like, Siakam and Green and them will step up and play a little bit better. But I just feel like that the Bucks role players are going to step up and play better, and Giannis can only play better. And I think it's going to get later. Like people keep saying, "Oh, well, Giannis is going to get locked up like Kawhi." I'm like, "Well, bro, there are about three different people they can 
throw at Kawhi, and Kawhi's going to get, you know, Kawhi can't play 45 minutes and play 100% at both ends, you know, yeah, and plus you 100%. don't want him getting in foul trouble. That And you're going to put this man on the best player uh, in the backcourt 99% of the time because he's such a good defender. So it's, uh, it's tough. Uh, I think they need somebody that, uh, you know, brings that extra oomph to a lineup, kind of like somebody like Marcus Smart or somebody like that. Uh, I don't think that they have a chance without that grit on that team. So I, I, moving forward, uh, we've kind of touched on the playoff series. We'll continue to update and talk about those throughout, you know, this next little you know, conference finals and then into the finals. Mm-hmm. And I think that we have a lot to look forward to, although I don't think that Trailblazers have a like legitimate chance. I do think that they're going to play the Warriors pretty tough. And uh, I, I'm, I genuinely do think it's going to be Bucks versus the Golden State Warriors, which might be the best line or best uh, finals matchup since LeBron James came into town and lost or in, uh, Lost the first or went down three to one and then came back. So I agree with that. For that sure. is something no, to look I, forward to. For I sure. think it's just fun that we get to see the two best teams in the NBA probably play each other in the finals. I mean, it's not always that you get to see the two best teams from the regular season play each other in the championship for sports, Especially but I think that's what we're getting here. In the Eastern Conference. Mm-hmm, that's what I'm saying. So all right, I know we had uh, Patrick Peterson getting his six-game suspension on here, and I know we wanted to talk a little bit about Tyreek Evans, but it's kind of getting late here. I got to run, but Brett, I appreciate you coming on once again, man. We killed this. Yeah, we did a pretty good job today. Uh, stayed on pace a little bit better than we have been, but Thomas just touched on the Tyreek Evans and Patrick Peterson. We'll get on to that uh, next episode. But essentially, these idiots got suspended for violating the drug policies of their respective leagues. I don't know why you do it anymore, but we will touch on that a little bit later on in the next episode of our little podcast over here. We also have some big things coming. I know I keep on saying that, but life is busy. Very soon. But we're getting there. So, Thomas, you have fun at work tonight. Uh, I'll send this over to you pretty soon. Hopefully you can post it before you get out there and Buckhead, that devilish place. So, <laughs> yeah, awful place. But I'm good. Take it away. Um, that's all we got for you guys today. Once again, we appreciate everyone tuning in. Like we said, me and Brett are cooking up big things. You know, it's, it's, it's I'm excited for what's about to come here soon. So y'all be on the lookout for that. But we appreciate all y'all tuning in, and we'll see y'all next week. We're on the crawl, walk, run, speed. Goodbye. <laughs>